thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. So many people talk about hearing God. There's lots of ways you can hear from God, but the number one way I guarantee you'll always hear from God is if you open this book and get in these pages. Let's do that this morning in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. The Bible says, in the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you serve each other in humility. For God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. Verse 10 says, In his kindness God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you And he will place you on a firm foundation. I want to talk to you this morning from a sermon titled, We Can Always Trust God. See, that's one of those titles that I've been believing for a long time. We just celebrated 15 years as a ministry. Uh, God started this church 15 years ago, and I've been telling you for a long time, one day we're going to come in here so focused, so prayed up, tithe check already made out just set on ready to be let loose to praise and worship him set on ready to receive from God one day I'm going to read the scripture announce the title and people are going to get it so much that pandemonium is going to break out money's just going to be thrown up into the air hallelujah shouts that didn't happen this morning but listen I still believe God's going to talk to you and I still believe we can always trust God Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this group of people that have come out today. God, I pray that you'd speak to us by your spirit. God, I pray that you'd let me decrease and you increase. God, we believe in you and we believe in your word. And we ask you, God, to teach us from your word by your spirit. Help us, God, to learn things today that would strengthen our faith, God. Reveal yourself to us is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. We can always trust God. If you don't get anything else out of the preaching today, get this title. If you don't get anything else, I'm going to share seven different things with you this morning from this text. We're just going to do more of a Wednesday night Bible study type format. I'm not going to preach hard to you this morning, but I'm going to pull seven things out of the scripture that I believe are plainly there for us that will encourage us to remember we can always trust God. There's so many people that have their faith in so many different things, especially around election time. I remember somebody saying on social media several several months ago, I wish I could fast forward to next year and have all this behind me. I, I still believe what the hymn writer said many years ago, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. The hymn writer said, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. I'll tell you this on a little bit of a twist to that. I dare not trust Republicans or Democrats neither. 
Independence, Tea Parties, or Libertarians. They all like pro wrestlers to me. Surely some of them have better ideas. Some of them care more. Some of them care less. Some of them are more honest than, than, than others. But I'm going to keep, it's just my opinion. Please love me in spite of me. But they all say that they're for us. And none of them know us. They all say that they have our best interest in mind. And they care about the people. But they live in gated communities and they send their children to private school. I don't have a gate around my community. My kids go to public school. Getting more public every day. (laughs) That's funny. You don't have to accept it. But I am not putting my hope in the next president of the United States. I'll vote. I'll do all that stuff. You know, it's fun. You know, it's it's like whatever. Who's going to win? Who's going to win? Because the Bible says that God is the one who ordains all authority. That's why these people just freak me out that want to say, he's not my president. If you don't recognize Barack Obama as your president, you need mental help. <laughs> he's been your president for a long, long time. And, and, and whether you claim him or not, if you're a citizen of this country, our president is Barack Obama. People still saying, he's not my president. Well, I mean, it, it's not just on that. We can flip it the other way. There's still people saying, George Bush was never my president. He was the president for a long time, too. Listen, you know, they, Clinton stayed around for a long time. Uh, what, you know, no Texas guy stayed around. George Bush and his daddy stayed around for a long time. Uh, president Obama stayed around for a long time. And listen, none of them put any money in my pocket. I hope things are better for you, but I hope that you don't get so caught up in politics that you forget to remember Jesus is the only hope. The Bible says our citizenship is in heaven, that we have a king that, that is above this earth. And, 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 and so, you know, whichever one of these people that are running, I say let, let's write in Deacon Jimmy. I, I mean, <laughs> whichever one of these people wins, God is still going to be in control. And listen, we can always trust God. And in certain times, in difficult times, when people aren't understanding what's going on, when you don't like the way things are going, when you're being hurt, when people that are supposed to protect you are abusing you, when people that are supposed to care about you are not caring about you, when when life seems upside down at best, The Christian mind should always gravitate right back to this. I can always trust God. God is not moved in heaven. God is not sitting in heaven scratching his head wondering who's going to win the election. Listen, do you realize God is bigger than America? I got my own theory. I think God is bigger than planet Earth. But let me get back to the scripture so we can get out of here. I'm going to give you seven things this morning. I'm going to pull them right out of the text. We're going to go verse by verse from verse 5 to verse 10. I'm going to move fast. I'm going to talk fast. I want you to listen fast. There's seven things that I want you to see. The first thing that I want you to see from this text is that we need to be submissive. Say be submissive. Some people wouldn't even say it. Other people would say it but don't feel it. Some people really struggle with this area of submission. And I have done a lot of weddings over 30 years of ministry. I have performed a lot of weddings, and I've had lots of women say, oh, we're going to need to take that part about obeying out. 
because we're more, you know, we're a new jack couple and we don't do that old school stuff. You know, I make the money, he does what I tell him to do. Um, a lot of Bible training in there somewhere. Some people feel like submission to authority is difficult for them. I want you to know, submission to authority, if you have the right authority, isn't that difficult. Let me, let me say this, ladies. If you have a husband that loves you more than he loves himself, if he puts your needs above his needs, if he will always choose you above him, it's not hard to let him make the decisions. Now, if he's busted, disgusted, can't be trusted, if he got like a 318 credit score, you get 400 for breathing. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. But... You know, if, 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 you know if, if, he had, if he's had nine jobs in seven years or no jobs in three years, then, then I understand you, you might have some issues. But when you are serving the right person, when you are in agreement and in alignment with the right leader, submission should be easy. If you understand authority... Which the Bible is, is all about authority. God is all about authority. Jesus, the Bible says, was a man in authority, under authority. Everybody has a certain level of authority, and everybody has to be under a certain level of authority. That's why pastors would do well to surround themselves with military men as their leaders. And we've done that at Abundant Life because military people understand how to follow the rules even if they don't make sense. Military, and you have a military mindset without ever having been in the military. Military people, people with a military mindset, understand how to follow the leader, even if the leader is not as proficient as they are. You don't believe me? I'm former Army. We got lots of former military people in the room. Just let me talk to the former military. Well, let's just include everybody. Anybody ever had a boss, a platoon sergeant, a squad leader? Uh, a shift supervisor, work for anybody that was over you that wasn't nearly as good at the job as you were? Anybody ever had to do that? that all right, then you need to know that, hey, it, they're the boss. As long as I do what they tell me to do, I can't get in trouble. Some people have such a problem. Just the concept of submission is difficult for many people, and I believe the reason why is as old as time. Because the problem that the devil had with God was submission. The problem that the devil had that got him kicked out of heaven was resistance to authority. And there's still this, he will tell me what to do, mindset prevalent in the earth today. I think it exists more in America than in probably any other country that I know anything about. Now, I'm one person with limited experience. But America, I've told you many times, was birthed in rebellion. America was birthed in a, we'll take our ball and go somewhere else. We're not going to listen to what you tell us to do. We'll start our own gig. And guess what? America's been doing that over and over and over and over and over again. Submission is a difficult thing, but the Bible requires Submission. Look at our text, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. It says, in the same way, talking about the previous verses, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders. Now, is someone smarter than you just because they're older than you? No. Not necessarily at all. Now, you would hope it would be that way. You would hope 
that as people get older, they get smarter. It doesn't always work that way. But the Bible, notice what it says, because I've always taught that the Bible is a specific book. No words are added. No words are wasted. All the words are there for purpose. In the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders. Now, some people look at this as an older man, younger man. But I've told you many times when the Bible talks about man, it's very seldom being gender specific and it's talking human, it's talking men and women. Don't feel bad, ladies, when the Bible says that we're all the sons of God. Do you know as a woman, you can be part of what that verse is talking about when it calls you a son of God? Men don't get swole because if you're saved, you are the bride of Christ. Now, we're not going to talk about gender identity confusion right now, but when God says words like men, many times he's talking about human, and we must say must. It's not optional that authority be accepted. Now, whether you believe this is talking about a chronological age thing or the office of an elder thing, the problem still remains. People don't like being told what to do. Coaching has changed so much in my lifetime. Big and Jim and I grew up playing every kind of sport that there is. And we liked the same kind of coaches. Grab you by the face mask, cuss you, spit on you, rag you, just dog. You make you understand. Can't treat these young men that way no more, coach. They're not trying. <laughs> you know about you, 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 you got to patty cake these children now. You got to placate them now. You, you, you know, you got 11-year-olds saying, you're going to respect me. <laughs> yeah, could you imagine telling one of your coaches that, man, 11 years old? I was at 11 years old. I was playing PAL football for, for some gigantic cop coach that drove me to work in his police car in the back of it. I wasn't telling him nothing. But authority mindset has changed so much in this generation even you see it now even in athletics coaches used to be the program coaches used to be the big man on campus that's who they named the stadiums after well now you know ever ever since you know you got to take it back at least as far as michael because michael was just like you you know i'm running things you do what i say and then that guy what's the boy's name spolstra i'd like to see him coach something I don't even know. Is he, is he still coaching in Miami? You know he wasn't coaching when LeBron was there. But, I mean, nowadays the players have become bigger than the coaches. Why? Because if they don't like what you tell them, they'll take their ball and go somewhere else. This is a childlike mentality. This is something that should only be done in nurseries and in daycares. This is, this is a two- to four-year-old mindset. I'm mad at you. I don't like you anymore. I hate you. Take my ball and go play somewhere else. That's not biblical. That's not a Christian mindset. It's an Americanized version of I'm a self-made person and nobody's going to tell me what to do. He, I've heard people say so many times, I ain't listening to them deacons and elders. They're men just like I'm a man. He puts his pants on the same way I put my pants on. I've already told y'all, don't nobody in this room except that boy right there, my son know how I put my pants on. Nobody. You don't know. He puts his pants on. the. You don't know. I might duct tape them to the side of the wall, do a triple backflip off my king-size mattress, land in them, boom, bam, both legs at one time, 
already zipped up. You don't know. You don't know. He put his pants on the same way I do. Listen, it's not about how somebody puts their pants on. It's about are you willing to be submissive? Can you have a boss? Can you be told what to do? I've had people say, well, if I can ever find a leader who deserves my fellowship. Amen. I'm going to help you right now. I know pastors. I are one. None of them deserve fellowship. And any of them asking to be followed have lost their way. Now, the Bible does talk about authority. But we're here to follow Jesus because he's the only one we're following to begin with. Amen. Everybody else is tore up from the floor up and human beings with issues and problems. But we've got to learn as children of God, because this passage is talking to Christians, that we've got to learn how to accept authority from others. Now, you can use this word elders and believe that just means everybody who's older than you. Or you can look at this word in the in-depth, the the Greek word presbyteros, from where we get the Presbyterian church or the presbytery, a group of people who have been called out and appointed by God to set authority and, and, and to maintain authority. But the reality is every one of us must learn how to accept authority and be submissive. Not only that. Second thing we got to do is be a servant. Say serve. Be a servant. Now, there's a lot of churches that make much about this title of servant leader. I've heard people stand in pulpits and say, I'm not a pastor. I'm a servant leader. Well, if you're not a pastor, you need to hand the microphone off to somebody else. Because the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that God gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the body, for the edifying, the building up of the saints. The church might grow into perfection. So we got to have pastors. Uh, and, and some churches make so much out of this servant leadership. Servant leadership has been talked about, books written about, seminars done about. Listen, everybody who claims the name of Christ needs to be a servant. Whether you consider yourself a servant leader or a servant servant or a servant quasi leader or a servant part time leader or a servant nobody. Every one of us who claim the name of Christ need to serve. Now, if I went around the room right now and I started with my son and I worked all the way to the back to James and I said, tell me where you serve. And you can't come up with somewhere you need to work on that. He's telling me what to do now. Who's he think he is? He puts his, I already told you about pants. Don't say that. Jesus said, I gave an example to you. I served you. This is the example that I've left you. He said, you call me master and, and you do so correctly because that's what I am. But I don't choose to lord over you. I choose to serve you. Jesus worked hard for his father's kingdom. And I want you to understand that we are commanded. It's not an option given to us from God. We must serve. The the second half of verse 5 says, All of you serve each other in humility. All of you. How many is all? You You don't need a degree in theology. You don't need to be able to speak Hebrew or Greek to know that all means all. It's not rocket science. All of you, talking to Christians, so that's us, All of us have to serve 
each other in humility. Now, here's the, the false mindset that so many Christians, so many church-going folk that, that have problems with authority, like the devil and anybody else who has problems with authority, because the Bible says the sin of rebellion is as bad as the sin of witchcraft, and they're, they're closely tied together scripturally. But I've heard so many people say, I don't serve anybody, I serve God. Well, grammatically, that's a train wreck already. Okay, the structure of your sentence is flawed. If you serve God, you serve somebody. But what they're trying to say is, I don't serve human beings, I only serve God. Well, the God who we claim to serve has commanded us to serve each other. You can't be so holy that the only person you serve, the only person you work for, the only person you honor, the only person you follow, the only person you submit to, the only person who you come under authority to is God. That's idealism that never has to work itself out in practicum. That's easy to say. I only do what God tells me to do. Well, if that's true, how about trial verse 5? See if that shoe fits. Because that says that we all must serve each other in humility. So if you're not serving, you're out of gas. And if you're not humble, you're out of gas. If you're not, if you're not accepting, uh, if you're not submissive, you're out of gas. And, and here's the point. Don't be out of gas. Let's get on with the getting on. We have a charge to keep and a God to glorify. We have a world that needs Jesus and they will not lead themselves to Christ. The Bible says if the blind lead the blind, they both fall into the ditch. Whether you agree with the people sitting next to you or whether you agree with me about every little issue in life is not what is relevant. Are we working together for the greater good? Are we working together to make our world a better place and to establish the kingdom of God on the earth? That's what we need to do. Are we following the commands of Christ or is our Christianity just in name only? Because not only must we serve God, we got to serve each other. You need to be helpful. You need to be hardworking. We live in a world where people don't want to work. We live in a world, we live in a nation that has so incentivized people to not work that there are people who can make more money staying at home than they could ever make going to work. And the Bible commands us to work. The Bible says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. People think work is bad. Work is a four-letter word, but it's not a cuss word. God gave man work before there was sin in the earth. Adam was doing work before he, he chose to, 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 to eat of the forbidden fruit. God commands us to serve. That is an action. How do you serve God? Well, you know. In my heart. Stop believing you can do verbs in your heart. I've already told you. That makes you sound off. If I, if, I, if I was talking to you after church and you told me, Pastor Scott, we should go fishing sometime. And I said, oh, I love fishing. And you're like, oh, really? I didn't know you fished. Do you, do you like saltwater fishing or freshwater fishing? And I told you, oh, you mean like touching bait? And, and uh, oh, no, I don't do all that. I, I fish in my heart. You would know I needed medication, inpatient therapy, and everything. But so do people who say that they serve God in their heart. 
You can't serve God in your heart. That's an action. That's a verb. It requires getting up and doing something. There's got to be some rubber meat in the road. There's got to be some proof in the pudding. There's got to be some feet put to your prayers. Serve with humility. We must, third point, we got to be humble. Say humble. We got to be humble. America has not taught us how to be humble. America has taught us how to fight hard to keep up with the Joneses. And in this generation and the generation before us that taught us um, how to live on credit, the average American lives at 115% of their income. Don't take a math major to know you can't keep doing that forever. You can't keep spending more than you make and stay ahead. I mean, you know, you can be one of those just file bankruptcy every seven years, folk. You can be like, oh, they took the last card. They can take you can have that flawed mindset if you want to, but if you spend more than you make, Trouble's coming. The average American spends more than they make. Why? Because they live on credit. Why do they live on credit? Because they want to try to look as good as the people around them. One person said it like this. We're spending money that we don't have to impress pe- to buy things that we don't need to impress people that we don't like. How crazy is that? We're spending money we don't have to buy things we don't need. To impress people we don't like. When I was a child, if you lived in a 1,200-square-foot house with more than one bathroom, you had it going on. If you had a garage and not a carport, how many of y'all know about carports? They don't even make carports. They don't build houses with carports anymore. If you had a carport and a side door where you could park and walk in the house through us, you, you were rich folk. But you were living over in Turtle Creek somewhere. If you had a garage, you were definitely, you were coming up. Then, see, I, I can class Jacksonville. I've been on the west side of Jacksonville. I was raised on the west side of Jacksonville. I can, I can class all of Jacksonville housing by how old they are. If the house is, if it has a carport, that's, that's 50s and 60s. They built in the 50s and 60s. If, if they have a, a single-car garage, that's 70s to 80s. If they have a two-car garage, that's 80s to 90s. Listen, now two-car garage is not doing it for rich folk. Got to have that three-car garage. Got to have that three-car garage. You know, I saw something. I saw a meme one time. It said only in America. And it listed some of the funniest things, some of the, some of the oddest things that we do. It said only in America do we drive into parkway and park in the driveway. Three-car garage, car in the driveway. Why is your car in the driveway you got a three-car garage? Well, because all that junk you got packed up. You got the storage shed. You got three-car garage full of stuff. Why? Well, credit cards. They mailed you one, so you bought stuff. Infomercials. How you not going to buy that? 3.30 in the morning, you can't sleep. It's only $19.95, but wait. If you're one of the first 75 million callers, we're going to pay you shipping and handling. We're living so far out there right now. I told you, poor people in America would be rich in any other country. Most, that's not, not all, but many. Listen, if you got a cell phone and, and food in your belly, you ain't all the way broke. America does not value humility, but the Bible does. America does not really teach us to be humble. It teaches us to keep up with the people around us. 
Listen, just because somebody got a new car next year don't mean you need to get a new car. My kids are like, Dad, that air conditioner's not working anymore. We're going to trade this in. Still cranking. It still cranks. Dad, the blinkers don't work. Well, you know, there's a few somewhere that needs to be fixed. Just because somebody else around you buying new stuff on credit doesn't mean you have to. Let me go ahead and hit you early with my Christmas speech. Some of y'all won't still be here in December. That ain't prophecy. That's common sense. Don't buy Christmas gifts on credit. I don't buy anything on credit. That's just me. Um, if I can't afford to buy it, I don't get it. I, I read the Bible. The Bible says the borrower is slave to the lender. And there was a time in my life where I had two car payments. I got no car payments now. A time in my life when I had a house payment. I don't have a house payment now. A time in my life where I had multiple visas and a Discover. And that was back when Discover's rate was twice. How many of y'all remember when Discover was more expensive than everybody else? But they'd give anybody a credit. Hey, get that Sears card and you'd be rolling. Listen, I've been in that trap. And I know that the Bible is true theologically and I know it experientially. Credit bills will weigh you down. America, they send you these credit cards, feel so good about it. Well, pre-approved, ain't not special. Special and gullible. $75 annual fee, $24.99. Oh, I'll pay it off at the end of every month. No, you won't. What? $3,000 limit. I never $10,000 limit. Do they know me? <laughs> Do you realize... Financial experts have said that it would take on $8,000 worth of credit, $8,000, which is what the average American has, $8,000 worth of unsecured credit card debt, paying the minimum payment, which is what the average person pays, it would take 42 years to pay off $8,000, paying the minimum payment. What am I saying? A, stop charging stuff. B, start sending extra. They don't teach us to be humble. They teach us to buy stuff to keep up to look better. Got to drive big. Got to wear big. Got to look big. Listen, I know people living in neighborhoods that they can't afford to be in, driving cars they can't afford to drive, leasing cars, buying clothes and jewelry on credit, and going backwards every month. That is not a comfortable way to live. And it's not a humble way to live either. The Bible says that, in verse 6, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. This is both a command and a promise. I've taught you when you read the Bible, look for promises, look for commands, look for things that you don't understand so you can ask questions later. But here, there's a, a command in the first half, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. This is God speaking to us. Not, it's not optional. It's what he's telling us we must do. Humble ourselves under the mighty power of God. If you're unwilling to do what God tells you to do, you must be willing to reap the consequences. I've heard people tell me, I don't care if God likes it or not. I'm going to do me. And it's just going to be what it's going to be. You don't understand about the mighty power of God. That's like people who tell me they're running from God. You can't outrun God. You can't go anywhere that he's not. And God is stronger and he is able to get our attention. 
But the command is to humble ourselves under the mighty power of God. And the promise is at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. It's a lot of people sitting back wondering, when am I going to get mine? When's my ship going to come in? When's all this serving? When's all this submitting? When's all this walking in authority? When's all this alignment? When, when, when is all this humility come, come to be? Listen, if it doesn't come to be in this lifetime, but you make heaven, it's still worth it. I wish I had five people that agreed with me. If, if you don't get your ship in this life, but you get a home in glory, it's going to be better than, than the option B. But God said at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. I've told you many times, humility for the Christian is not optional. How you attain humility is optional. Humility for the Christian will happen one way or the other. Humble is coming. You get the choice. You can humble yourself under God. And he will exalt you. Or you can be humbled by God. Listen, when you humble yourself, that leads to honor. When God has to humble you, that might be humiliating. So we got a lot of H words going on. Humble yourself, you can catch some honor. Put yourself in a position of refusing to humble yourself. Cause God to humble you, you just might get humiliated. Doesn't take a theologian to make the right choice on these decisions. Because the Bible says that this book, this scripture, this word is a rock of offense. It makes you read this Bible, you listen to Bible preaching, you're going to hear some stuff you can say amen to. You're going to hear some other stuff you're going to have to say, oh, me too. You're going to hear some things you're just going to have to say, ouch, and have mercy. And, and please, Lord, too. Because the Bible is, is, is a lot to swallow. And it commands us not to cherry pick, but you got to eat the whole roll. you got to take Genesis 2 Revelation. You, you just can't pick out, he's blessing me. Okay, well, there's a lot that goes on with that to be blessed. you got to eat the whole roll. And the Bible says this, this truth is a rock of offense. And you can fall on the rock and be bruised by it. See, even if you choose to humble yourself. Especially if you walk in a lot of pride. Huh? It, it, that, can, that can hurt a little bit when you have to humble yourself. That, that can be difficult. Listen, it's easier, especially for most men. This is why women outpray men five to one. Because men tend to be, especially competitive men, especially men that, that grew up competing, uh, we, we, we don't choose to walk in as much humility as we should. And I put myself in that crowd. And prayer is an act of humility that says, I can't do it. So you fall on God and ask him to help you with it. And I'm, a lot of men won't pray because here's what we want to do. You tell us the problem, we want to go solve it. No direction necessary. You know what a real man does? He takes out some, some table, some, some dresser. Some little gadget, got an instruction manual this thick with pictures on it. You know what the average man does with that? Don't need it. That's for ignorant folk. I got my tools. It's just, it's, you know, I just, you know it's, it's, it's five drawers. How hard can it be? Let's get to working. You know, well, 
five drawers on a picture, ends up with three drawers on the wall. Looks good. A couple of parts left over. A couple of missing parts. But hey, prop it up on one side. With a paper towel roll, it'll work. Why? Because they didn't teach us to be humble as children. They taught us to dominate. They taught us to rub other people's faces in it. They, they taught us to have pride and be a man. So now we come to Christ and we hear all this stuff about being humble and it's not always easy. It's not always easy when you're the go-to guy. It's not always easy when you're, when you're the, the can-do guy. But listen, it doesn't matter what your personality is. The Bible commands us to humble ourselves under the mighty power of God. And the promise is if we do that, he's going to lift us up in honor. I believe so many times God wants to bless us, but we short-circuit our supply. So many times God wants to bless us, and we get in the way. I told you one time I had a vision of just blessing raining down all around me. And none of it falling on me. And everywhere I looked, it was like everybody. It just being soaked. It was like rain just falling on everybody. And I'm in this dry and, and parched, unblessed place. And, 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 and like panorama, the, the, the vision scaled back. And I saw over my head was my hand crimping, kinking the hose of blessing that was supposed to be flowing out on me. And I was preventing my own blessing. Because of my actions. I was short-circuiting my own supply. God had me set up for a blessing. But my pride, my arrogance, my bad choices were preventing me from being lifted up. So whether you're a man or a woman, whether you struggle with pride or whether you don't, I want you to understand that if you are not being blessed the way you feel like you ought to be blessed, maybe you need a greater dose of humility. And I'm telling y'all this, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to anybody in here. So don't think that anybody's exempt from this. We've got to be submissive. We've got to be servants. We've got to be humble. The fourth thing we need to do is talk to God, say pray. In verse 7, the scripture says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. If you could believe this one verse of scripture, okay, the Bible's a big book. 39 books in Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, 66 books altogether, 1,189 chapters inside the Bible, over 300,000 Ver, uh, words in, in the Bible. There, there's a lot to say, a lot of information, but if you could only get this one small verse, change the way you live. Last part of it. Just those five words. Knock the four off because it it's not required for context. Last four words. He cares about you. He cares about you. Most people don't believe that. Most people believe that God is loving, he's good, he's gracious, he's merciful, he's real, and he, and he loves the world. But they struggle to personalize it and say, he loves me. I know he loves other people, but I ain't always sure that he loves me. I know he's a healer, but I'm not sure if he'll heal me. 
I know he's able, but I don't know if he'll come my way. I know other people can tap into his stuff, but, you know, I'm, you know, this is just my, I've heard so many Christians say, Pastor, maybe it's just my lot in life to struggle. God has revealed himself to us as a father that wants to bless his children in the Bible. And I want you to examine your own life and see if maybe you're hindering the blessing from flowing in your life because you're getting in your own way. Maybe you're not doing what you need to do so that God can really show you how much he cares about you. See, if you don't really know the whole story, if you were to see me at certain times with my children, you would be able to say, he just spoils them kids too hard. He's just too nice to them. Why is he still kissing them big boys on their mouth anyway? That's not even natural. Grown man kissing boys on the mouth. Why is he always hugging them? And why, why, why is he always telling them how much he loves? And you, you could say, he's just too easy on them. He just spoils them too hard. You catch me in a different time, you could say, he's just too mean to them kids. What kind of man t- tells his kids, touch it one more time, I'll break your arm? I said that the other day in front of some people, and somebody looked at me like that. And I didn't yell at him and tell him. It's a figure of speech. I never broke my own child's arm. I ain't going to plan on it today. But I, well, I will beat them, though. Figure of speech. And if you caught me, just tell, tell my kids, ask me that one more time. I'm going to beat all the skin off you. Let that come out of your mouth. Say it one more time. Just say it again. You can say, he is just mean to them kids. You don't know the whole story. If all you see is, is, is that part, you don't know how much I love them and how much I long to bless them and how much I long for them to walk in joy and in peace and in happiness. You don't, you don't know how much I, I care about them, but let me tell you something about my own kids. They can get in their own way of their own blessing. I already told you all in my house, if I say clean your room and then we'll go, whatever, Disney World, milkshakes, whatever. Don't come down when your room ain't clean asking me, can we go yet? We're not doing B till we finish A. And God is like that. We've got to do. See, this issue I have with these people that hold up these Bibles and say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says. You don't have what it says you can have unless you do what it tells you to do. You're not even what it says you are. Unless you do what it tells you to do. You just can't stand. Listen, I've told my kids so many times, I wish I could just, you know, speak it and it happened. Call it. Call those things be not as though they are. Listen, if that type of magic spell potion stuff worked, there wouldn't be no issues in the world. We'd just call the Celtics champions every year. Do you realize I can say Boston Celtics NBA champion, Boston Celtics NBA champion, Boston Celtics NBA champion, and that don't make the Boston Celtics NBA champions? Still got to play the games. It's not looking good for them either. You can call your, you can call your, I call my 07 Camry a Porsche all day long. I confess it, and I walk out there, still a Camry. It's more than lip service. We got to do what the word tells us to do so we can have what it is. God wants to bless us. 
Jesus said it's the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. God wants to, to shower his children with good things. We, we got to get to the place where we believe that. The psalm writer said, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. If I had to ask you right now how God is benefiting you based on your Christianity, some people can only sing, woe is me, struggling shame. And that type of mindset makes it hard to believe that he cares about you. But I want you to know we can always trust God and his word is true even when your circumstances look different. We got to believe the book. So you, you can, there's very little pleasure other than breaking it down from a coaching standpoint of watching a game that you know the outcome of. That could, there's no suspense in that at all. See, because if your team is down by 40 at a half, there's a lot of angst there. But if you already saw the game, if you already know how it's going to turn out, and you know they come back in the biggest four-quarter comeback in the history of pro sports, and they win, you're celebrating through You're not feeling the horror of how far we're down. We as Christians need to believe that we win. Stop looking at the scoreboard right now. The scoreboard might have you under. The bill man might have you under. The repo man might be looking up and down your street. You keep parking your car in different places. <laughs> you know the truth. But if you know that you win in the end, then you can believe he cares about me. You got to start believing God cares about you greater than what your per- current circumstances are. Because God's not a man that he can lie. The scripture teaches us that. But what we need to do so we can get to this constant realization of how much he loves us is we have to do something with our worries. Now, when the Bible says give all your worries and your cares to God, do you know why God tells us to give him our worries? Because we worry. Well, didn't the scripture tell us not to worry? We do it anyhow. I guess that means we're not perfect. That ought not be a revelation. We're people in our process trying to become who God wants us to be. Whether you are a worrier or whether you just worry every now and then, no matter how, where you're at on that chart, we all need to learn how to give our worries and the things that we are concerned about. That word in the Greek for care, it, it, it expresses an abundance of concern. Let me tell you what that means in, in modern day 2016 speak. Stuff keeping you up at night. Stuff keeping you up at night. Th- things that you think about more than is healthy. Things that are causing your hair to fall out. And, 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 and you, you not to enjoy life. Take your worries and your cares and do something with them. Listen, Jesus said worrying about stuff can't change it a bit. But there's something you can do with your worry. God said give all your worries and cares to God. The reason most people won't do that is because we don't rightly believe that he cares enough about us. Well, he already knows I'm broke. He's supposed to know everything. Pastor said he knows everything. He knows, he knows I need help. He knows I need a new job. He knows I need a raise. He, 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 know, he, knows, he knows what's going on. Well, the scripture commands us. Let me, let me get one of the great Bible students in the room. How do you think in a very real, tangible way, in a practical way, how can we truly obey this scripture and give our worries and cares to God? How can we do that, anybody?
pray. Amen. Pray. You can't just, you know, write them down. You know, we've done that here with our youth and, you know, write down. Y'all did that at the the women's retreat. Y'all wrote something down on a rock or something, threw it out in the water. You know, we write stuff down, nail it to a cross. Listen, you can't just write stuff down on, on a piece of paper and say, hey, yo, God, catch this when I throw it. It's coming back down. You can't give it to God on a piece of paper. You can't give it to God in ideology, but you can give it to God in prayer. And I want you to start praying and giving your worries to God. I hope you have a spouse or a significant other that loves you and cares about you and wants to do life with you. The Bible says two are better than one. As a single parent, I can tell you how hard that is. But I hope that you have somebody that, that is helping you carry your load. I hope you have somebody that is there for you. Uh, your, 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 your sugar pie honey bunch is just, you know, you just there to help you. But let me tell you something. No matter how much you think your boo cares about you, they can't take your worries the way God can. They can't do with your worries what God can. And it's not their job. It's not their job to be your sole source of emotional support. That's God's job. God said, cast your cares on me because I care about you. Give all your worries and cares to God. Let me get through this so we can go home. Sixth thing, we need to stand firm. Say stand. In verse 9, oh, no, fifth thing, don't get cut out. Verse 8, we know this well. Verse 8 says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Y'all know me. I love nature channels. Nature, documentaries, sports channel, history channel. About all I got time for. That's, That's what I enjoy. You like what you like. I like what I like. I love watching shows where the lion gets the zebra. I do not agree with his tactics. The lion is bigger. Stronger and faster. God said that the lion is the king of all beasts and turns aside from none. He ain't scared of that zebra. The lion could run out into that herd of zebra. If it's a herd, a pack, a, 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 a whatever. He could run out into the middle of them, spread out wide, and just grab one in each paw. Say, look at you now. Dinner time. That's not how he chooses to do it. The Bible says that our enemy, the devil, hunts like a lion. How does he hunt? He prowls around looking for someone to devour. The lion could take anybody in that zebra. That Serengeti ain't phasing that lion none. He's ready to go. He could take all them zebras any way he wanted to. But he has a technique, and it's called the cutout principle. He crouches low and he watches. And I want you to know that the devil is crouching low and he's watching right now, all Christians. And he's looking for a specific type of Christian because he can knock you off. Stop stop thinking, you know, I'll, I'll just plead the blood of Jesus on the devil and he'll run away from me. Read the book of Acts. That man tried that. He said, I adjure you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Loose here, devil. What did the demon say? Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Don't let that be to come back. That time you better call somebody. You better call somebody, Ghostbusters or a preacher, but call Jesus. The devil could pick you off, but he has a t- 
tactic. He has a hunting scheme like the lion. He just sits and he watches. And he waits for one of them zebra to get separated from the herd. Called the cutout principle. And you can either get cut out by the herd or you can cut yourself out from the herd. But when you wander off, Christian, when you step away from the circle of church folk, Christian, you've been cut out. And you're next. You're the next one that the devil's going to pounce on. And listen, the zebra, at that point, after he gets cut out and the lion pounces on him, that's no hope, no soap, end of the rope. It ain't like, oh, it's on now. He went in and we're about to do this. <laughs> there ain't no doing this between the lion and the zebra. They're just doing this for the lion. The zebra is defenseless at that point. And if you allow yourself to get cut out, voluntarily or involuntarily, you are prey for the enemy. That's why the smart zebras, they get slap dab in the middle. If somebody's going to get picked off, it ain't going to be me. I stay in the middle of what God is doing. I stay surrounded by Christian people. I keep Christian people around me. Why? Because when that day comes and that enemy prowling around looking for somebody cut out, they got all these surface people around here he's going to get to before he gets to me. Because I'm not going to be the one wandering away from the pack being like, I don't need anybody. Well, if for no other reason, I need y'all to have somebody around me for the devil to get. I mean, it's just common sense. Let's just be realistic about it. I ain't getting cut out. I'm not standing on the edge of the hurt because this is where the devil creeps. So don't get cut out. All these people mad at the church. I ain't going back. Mm, better read verse 8. Mm. Six things. Stand firm. Verse 9. Stand firm against him. Stand firm against him. He's talking about the enemy. And be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. I believe, after studying this word for years and decades, that one of the primary tools the enemy uses is to make you think you got it harder than somebody else. Ain't nobody ever been through what I've been through. Ain't nobody going through what I'm going through. And listen, that's why this verse is in there. Your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you're going through. You ain't the only one. You ain't the only one that's ever been lied on. You ain't the only one that's ever been cheated on. You ain't the only one that ever had somebody die on you. You ain't the only one that ever had somebody walk out on you. You ain't the only one that's ever been raped, abused, molested. You ain't the only one that, that's ever been fired unjustly. You ain't the only one who, who's ever had the rug pulled out from under you. The enemy wants you to think that. You ain't the only one that, that ever had to, to, to deal with hard issues. There are people in the, all over the world that have been through going through the same stuff you're going through. You say, well, how does that help me? Listen, if I know they can make it, I know I can make it. If I know that they can love God in the middle of their stuff, I know I can love God in the middle of my stuff. If, 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 if God can use them in the midst of their difficult, I know God can use me. If they can come out the other side, I know I can come out the other side. Listen, we got to stand firm and we got to get strong in our faith. Not strong in ourselves. Not strong in our ability. See, that's the trick. People want to think, I can do this. No, get strong in your belief system. Get strong in who you believe in. And realize other people have been through it too. 
I'm going to make it. I mean, let, let, me, let me give you some, some, some real stuff. Everybody makes it. From the president to the ditch digger, everybody gets through. Everybody gets by. Everybody gets over. Everybody don't get over like Rover to Casanova, but everybody gets up. Everybody's going to make it to the end of today. You're going to be all right if you're saved. God's going to help you get from today to tomorrow. And, and when the time comes that you don't get to tomorrow, you'll be in heaven and you won't be mad about it. Stop thinking that life's against you and that you're going through stuff nobody else has ever been through. Get strong in your belief system and stand. Stand up. Time for Christians to stand up. Last thing, number seven, God promises restoration, support, strength, and a firm foundation. God promises. See, what most preachers in today's world do, because they preach 25-minute messages, and you know mine are way longer than that. Average message in America is under 25 minutes, sermon-wise. Most pastors would just start here with all these promises, but you gotta, you got to do what the Word says if you want to have what the Word says you can have. After we've done all these other things, after we get submissive, after we serve, after we're humble, after we take our worries and cares to God, after we make sure not to get cut out, after we stand firm and realize other folk are suffering too, then, say then, then promises kick in. People want to start with the promises without doing the work. It doesn't work like that. You don't grow a harvest until you plant a seed. As you do these things contextually, there's this promise in verse 10. The word says, in his kindness, God called you, talking to all Christians, to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus, period. Always pay attention to the punctuation when you read. Pause on punctuation. Don't just keep reading quickly. Try to absorb some of this. God has called us to share in his eternal glory because of Christ. God has called us to share in his eternal glory because of Christ Jesus, period. Stop on that and think about it. If you know that one day you're going to end up in heaven and all this is going to be behind you, you can put certain things into perspective. Your suffering will take on a lighter affliction. You'll understand what the Scripture teaches, that this, this life is just a moment it's just passing through. We got a home and a citizenship outside of this earth. God has called us to share in his eternal glory through Christ. We're going to live in heaven one day. We are going to be with God forever. So after we've suffered a little while, come. Loose here, devil, I rebuke that. Well, you can loose and rebuke everything you want. But God says, read the book of Job. God said everybody born of a woman has a few days full of trouble. The apostles showed suffering. Jesus showed suffering. Stop believing that all suffering comes from the devil. God says after we suffer for a little while, he's going to do some stuff. You may be in a season right now. You can't loose your way out of it. You can't declare your way out of it you got to walk through the journey that God has for you. And while you're walking through, you have to be submissive. You have to serve. You have to be humble. you got to pray. you you, you got you to hold on. And after a while, I thank God for how specific his word is. Not just a while, but a little while. 
Listen, if you've been going through for a long time, you ought to thank God that your little while is almost over because it can't last forever. God said after a little while. He didn't say after a long while. He didn't say after forever. He didn't say after it breaks you down. He didn't say after you've been through it for, for the longer than anybody's ever been. He said after a little while. Everybody has a season where they're going to go through some things that are unpleasant. But after that happens, there's some promises that are going to kick in. They're not going to happen till after. So don't hate where you are. Walk where you are. Embrace your space. Quit hating what God is doing in you. And embrace where you are. Go through it. Accept what God has for you where you are. And realize this is not where I'm going to be forever. I may be suffering, but it's only going to be for a little while. And after that happens, he will restore. Comma. That's cause for pause. You need to understand if you've ever suffered, restoration is promised. I hope you feel that better. Man, y'all staring at the ground like you're not hearing anything. If you've ever suffered, support is promised. After you've suffered for a little bit of while, he will support you. He's going to restore. He's going to support and strengthen you. I saw somebody say the other day that my setup is a come up. Or, 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 or my downfall is a setup for my come up. I hope so. I don't know how long that season is going to be for you, but I do know this. The promises of God are sure, and he cannot lie. And no matter how long your season is, because God counts time differently than we do. I don't know how long your season of suffering will be. I do know everybody. The Bible says, all that live God in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution i don't know how long your season will be but i do know on the other side there are promises of god of restoration promises from god of support strength and the bible says he will place you on a firm foundation we get busy trying to build our own life trying to manage our own situation trying to make sure that we're on a solid rock the bible says after you go through what god has for you to go through he's going place you on a firm foundation I'm done with this hear me good God has a place for you and it's a good place it's a place where he'll bring strength your way where he'll bring restoration where he will bring support where it will be a strong foundation a place where you can stand and truly say not as a cliche or churchy but truly say He set my feet on a solid rock. So you can say he's a battle axe and a mind regulator without letting him battle for you or make your mind right. You can say he's a cleft in a rock and a place to hide under the shadow of the Almighty. But if you're not hiding there, then that's just all words. But if you go through something and you stay humble in it and you keep serving and you keep praying, And you endure what God has for you just the way Christians all around the world are going through. There is this promise of restoration, support, and strength, and this place of a firm foundation. Life is shaky. 
Life is sketchy. Life can be hard, but God promises a firm foundation. And remember this, you can always trust God. If I could get you to understand this today, I would love to get you to understand. The score may look bleak for you right now. The report card may look bad for you in life right now. But if you'll begin to do what God has commanded you to do, you can trust Him. Strength is coming. Restoration is coming. Support is coming. A firm foundation, a place that God has for you that is secure is coming. You're not going to get it by holding up a Bible and saying, this is my Bible. You're going to get it by doing what God has commanded us to do. Because he said from the beginning, I set before you a choice. A choice to bless you or a choice to chastise you. Obedience will bring blessing. And our Father wants to bless us. I hope you trust him. I hope you believe in him. And I hope you'll choose his ways. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Please help us, Lord, to believe that you care about us. Please help us, God, to endure our season. To walk into your promises of restoration, strength, support, firm foundation. Lord, I pray for each person in this room today. We all have different struggles, God. We all have different insecurities. We all have different flaws and faults and shortcomings. You know our issues and you love us. Help us, God, to believe that you care about us. Help us, God, to believe that we can trust you. Help us, God, to believe that you are bigger than our problems. And help us to put you first. God, we believe in your son, Jesus Christ. He told us to put you first and everything else will fall into place. God, I pray that you'd strengthen us to do that very thing. There's nobody greater than you. There's nobody more worthy of honor and praise, servitude and fellowship and obedience than you. So help us, God, to love you and to love each other the way you've commanded us. God, I pray as we leave this place, we'll leave with a divine awareness that you care about us. That you see our struggle and restoration and strength and support is promised. Thank you for your word, God. Help us to live in it, to live by it, and live through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.